Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightening anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Hello, welcome to you. If you are watching this over in our Shoreham site, in our Hove site, Oasis, uh, or are watching this online, it's a pleasure to be bringing the teaching from our Joy Has a Name series. It's been a while, I've not preached uh, for a while, so it's good to be back and share your company. And as I say, we're in the third week of our series that's looking at the New Testament book of Philippians. Let me start with this. There's a funny story. Uh, about the comedian Groucho Marx. Apparently, uh, one time, well, when he was born into fairly humble uh, beginnings, but as he got famous, maybe in the American 1930s and 40s, one of the features of that was that he was invited to join private members' clubs. And uh, he did so and then quickly resigned. And one time there was uh, uh, the president of one of these clubs in New York and uh, wrote to him to ask a reason for him uh, resigning from the club. And uh, after thinking for a moment, Groucho Marx wrote back and said, Dear sir, I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. Yours sincerely, Groucho Marx. Whether or not that story is actually true, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, it's a fairly funny line. It's obviously being self-deprecating and joking and uh, playing on this paradox that any club that he would want to be in, he's not actually worthy of joining. And uh, in a way, the Christian life is a little bit like that in the sense that we get to be part of something that we are not worthy to be a part of. I mean, even the name Christian, to call ourselves Christians for those of us who do. We're, called, we're, we're bearing the name of Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Are we worthy to even have that re being referred to us? I mean, even people who don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, he is still one of the most, if not the most remarkable people in history. Every time you write the date, <laughs> you are recognizing that counting from the life of Jesus. Such has been his impact, especially in Western culture. Maybe you're not a Christian, but perhaps that thought has crossed your mind that, well, to become a Christian is to become like Jesus, and I couldn't do that. Maybe it's a barrier to actually becoming a Christian because you think, well, who, who can be like Jesus? And Christians would be quick to point out, well, no, no, it's not like that. None of us are worthy of Jesus. None are worthy to belong to God and bear his name and be part of God's family. Actually, the gospel is that we're not worthy, unworthy people accepted by this holy God because of his love expressed through Christ. The gospel is that we are people who are unworthy, unworthy of God. 
We actually deserve death for our sins, the things that we have done wrong that are an affront to God. But the good news of Jesus is that he, the Son of God, who is worthy of praise and glory, has come down to take on the death that we deserve, to die for our sins. And through him, through faith in him, we have eternal life. That's, that's the gospel. That's the arrangement. That's what God has done in Christ for us. We're not worthy, but we're loved. We're not worthy, but we are saved by him. It's a bit of a shock to us when we look at this passage that we have, you will have heard already from the first chapter of Philippians. When the Apostle Paul writes to this community of Christians in Philippi and says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And we might think, what, what, is he, what is he talking about here? I thought we weren't worthy of the gospel. I thought that was the point, isn't it? And actually, Paul is not just throwing out this line casually or it's a, something that's incidental. Even that word only at the beginning there, it's referring to the fact he's saying, this is the main thing. This is what I want you to hear. Only let the manner, your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So it, how, is, how is this the main thing, Paul? Isn't isn't it actually, isn't God's love the main thing? Isn't forgiveness the main thing? Now you're saying the way we live is the main thing and we're supposed to live in a way that shows that we're worthy of the gospel. How do we make sense of that? I have found this quite confusing. It's a, it's a verse you have, to, you have to wrestle with. What is Paul getting at here? Because it can cut across other things that we already know to be true if we're Christians that I've already referred to. And we can... We can be a bit confused in this. Maybe it's summed up in this question. Is the Christian life about trying hard to be like Jesus? Or is it just receiving forgiveness and accepting that I'm not like Jesus? It, good, good question. In a way, I think actually that quotation that I referred to earlier from Groucho Marx's it's a bit helpful, like, you know, pretend he's being serious for a moment and consider what he had said. And I'll use that to explain the answer to this question. He said, I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. So even though he's joking, the logic of it actually does make sense. He's saying, I'm not a great person. Okay, and your club is accepting me. So therefore, your club must be full of people that are not great people. Therefore, I don't, I don't want to be part of that club. Okay, it makes sense. Now let's consider Christianity, the, the, the Jesus club, being part of God's family. It starts actually from the same place. I'm not a great person. And you know what? To come to Jesus, you, you, you need to recognize that. You can't receive Jesus unless you recognize you need him. You need his forgiveness. You need his restoring. You need him to reconcile you to the Father because we are not close to God in any respect before that. We need to start by recognizing we're not great. But yet Jesus accepts us through what he has done, like I've explained. So is, 
Jesus' club, these, these Christians, are, are they just, you know, they're just still not great people. Well, yes and no. And this is where it differs here. Yes, we can say we are unworthy of God. We're not great. And maybe if you're here and you're someone who's not a Christian, maybe you, you've felt the sharp end of that. You say, well, I've seen Christians. They're no better than anyone else. You know, maybe you've been hurt by Christians, things they've done or said. There's certainly plenty of examples through history of Christians not, not representing Christ well and doing all sorts of things in his name and under his banner, perhaps. And maybe that's put you off. So, yes, we can say in one sense, Christians, they're not worthy of Christ. But also, and this is where we differ here. This is a different type of club. Because with the gospel of Jesus, with being part of God's family, one of the purposes of it, one of the things that God does is with his people, they start off not great, but he said, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you like me. The purpose of God at working through his people is to make them like Christ. And so when we think of us as Christians, are we worthy? Are we not worthy? How can we do this? We're works in progress. We're works in progress. And you can, you can trace this already. If you've been with us uh, the last few weeks as we've been looking at this letter to the Philippians, you can see from what Paul is teaching already, these ideas coming together. He's building one idea on top of the other. We would have already read verse 1. How does Paul refer to the Philippians? You're saints. Saints. And he says, so what he's saying there, a chain by becoming Christians, by meeting Jesus, your identity has changed. Who you are has already changed. Fundamentally. But then he follows that up in verse 6 by saying, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So Paul is talking about the change that has happened just by meeting and seeing Jesus and receiving forgiveness from him. But he's also talking about the fact that Jesus, by his spirit, is working in the lives of Christians to bring them into more and more change. There's an ongoing progress. Yeah, we start off not great, but actually there's a work of change that happens. And if you're a Christian, you have experienced this. You might be aware, thinking, I'm not what I want to be, but okay, but you are not what you were. Some of you would used to lie and cheat and swear or whatever, and now, now you're shaped by God's truth. Some of you were enslaved to different habits or addictions, drink and drugs, and, and Jesus has set you free. That's happened. That's part of your story. Some of you would struggle with anger or jealousy or different emotions that were destructive in your life and they dominated your life and now you sing songs of God's goodness and you've turned a page on those things because of what God has done in your life. And some of you treated other people so badly 
now through the work of Jesus in your life, you've got a capacity to love and forgive others that you didn't have before. None of us are perfect. We're all on the journey here. But God is at work through Christ by his spirit in his people. And this progress, the Bible uses the word sanctification, is something that God is committed to us, committed to in our lives. And it's a work that he does by his spirit. He does the work in us by his spirit. But somehow in the mystery of God, it also involves our obedience. Our repentance, our faith, our action, our decisions are involved in this process of change, of becoming more like Jesus that God has begun in our lives. And I say all that because I think it helps us to make sense of what Paul is commanding and saying to these Christians in Philippi when he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's saying, get on board with the work of God's grace by the Spirit in your life. He is saying, yes, aim high. He is saying there's, there's, a, there's a destination, there's a pursuit. You're going somewhere with God and get on board with it. Become more and more matching up to the gospel and who God is. He says it boldly, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's the direction. That's where we're going here. He wants these Christians in Philippi to be on that journey, be alive to that journey. Perhaps by way of illustration, it's like standing in a river. Maybe you've been out walking and you have to cross a river at one point. Or maybe you're swimming in a river. <laughs> You'd be up to your chest at one point. Think of yourself being in a, in a fast-flowing river. It's like the work of God in our lives is that fast-flowing river. He's taking us in that direction. Now, if you're standing in that river, you've got an option of how you respond. <laughs> you can try and swim in that river. You can swim upstream. You can go against the current. Or you can put your feet down and try and stay where you are. And in the Christian life, that might be like, well, doing things that you know are not of God. God is pushing you in one direction. The Spirit is at work, making you more and more like Jesus. But we have choices and decisions. How are we going to respond to that? Are we going to get on board with that? Or are we going to dig our heels in? Or are we going to make decisions that are going to go against the, the stream of that river, against the work of God. We, we can do that. But the point is, there's a flowing of the river. The work of the Spirit is in us and it points us and it pushes us and it leads us towards the things of God in Christ more and more. And that's what I think Paul is getting at here. He's saying you've received gospel forgiveness. You've received a gospel saviour. Now live gospel lives. Live according to what you have received. Not working to earn Jesus. Not making, making ourselves worthy so that we can receive forgiveness. No, it's not that way around. No, we have received it. The work of God is in us now live in a way that flows in that direction, that 
if the gospel, if the work of God, if who God is, is full of goodness and holiness and purity and faithfulness, then live according to that. Live according to that. You see, faithfulness and obedience to Jesus does not contradict the gospel of grace. No, in fact, it's the only appropriate response to it. Let's get clear on that. Faithfulness and obedience to Jesus does not contradict the gospel of grace. Actually, it's the only appropriate response to it. Let me say a bit more on that. Here's another illustration. Earlier uh, this year, I, um, well, Catherine, my wife, got me um, tickets to go to the West End. And we saw uh, Les Mis in the West End. And it was amazing. It was amazing. I don't know if you have, you have seen that. Um, it's an incredible uh, production. And uh, shortly after I went, in the week after, I spoke to someone else and said, oh, you know, we went to see Le Miz in the West End. And I was like, oh, have you seen that? And he's like, yes, <laughs> several times. It's amazing, isn't it? I knew he had seen it <laughs> because just that, the way he responded was like, oh, yeah, oh, you've seen it as well. Wow, isn't, isn't it wonderful? Later that week, I, was, I had also uh, spoke to someone else. Um, let's just call him my dad. And I uh, had a conversation with him. And uh, I said, oh, you know, I went to see Les Mis in the West End. And he said, that, oh, I, you, know, I've, I, you know, I think the, the songs in The Greatest Showman is actually probably better than the songs in Les Mis. And I'm like, you have not seen Les Mis in the West End. <laughs> I can tell you, do not, by the way you are saying that, you have not seen this. You have not seen how amazing uh, this production is. You would just not be saying that if you had seen this. Why am I going on about Les Mis? Um, well, if you've seen Jesus, if you've met Jesus, you, you know that you've met Jesus. You know that you've seen him. And if you've seen him, you, 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 do, you want to be like him. I want Jesus. If you see his beauty, if you see how glorious, just something of how glorious he is, you, you want to be like him. You see, receiving gospel truth and then living gospel lives, that, it goes hand in hand. If, you, if you've seen him, you, you want to be like him. It's the only appropriate response if you've truly seen him. If you're living a life and you, you don't want to be like Jesus at all, I would, I would question, have you really seen him? Have you seen how amazing and wonderful and full of love and grace and goodness he is? Because the only appropriate response is, I just want to go where Jesus is going. I want to do what Jesus says because he's so full of grace and I've seen something in him. If you're a Christian, the spirit, something in you, the spirit wants to, you have that desire to be like Jesus. Now, okay, let's be honest. That's not the only desire in us because if that was where we were the whole time, we would never, do, never be disobedient to God and sometimes we are. So what's that about? Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we think and do things that are wrong. Sometimes we don't pursue this change that I'm referring to here. But let me say this. When we sin, 
Is it not that we have lost sight of Jesus? In that moment, we, we lose sight of how wonderful Jesus is and just something just appears to be better. Something just wins our heart a little bit and we just pursue something. But it's, it happens when we lose sight of Christ. We lose sight of the glory of how good he is. If we were seeing things right, we'd just be completely committed to him. And Paul knows this is our experience. Paul knows that we stumble and we lose sight of Jesus sometimes. And I believe that is why he is giving this command in the first place. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He wouldn't have to say it if we lived constantly in that way of seeing Jesus clearly all the time. And in fact, there are hundreds and hundreds of commands and things to do and things to obey, even in the New Testament of the Bible. And yes, this command is setting a high bar, living in our lives, the manner of our lives, not just the outcome of our life, the way that we live, the way we speak to people, the way we act, the decisions that we make in public and in private. Paul is saying, the manner of your life may match something of the gospel. He's, he's not putting that as a high bar in the sense of a, a heavy load, that we must really try really hard. He's saying, the gospel, have you seen the gospel? Paul's heart is that we might see Christ and treasure Christ and live accordingly, live from that place, live lives that flow out from the revelation that we have seen Christ Jesus. Now, there are a few specific things that Paul places in this um, passage when he's speaking to these Philippian Christians about what that will look like practically for them in verses 27 to 30. What does it look like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? There's three things here. I'm just going to list them. I don't have time to unpack them in detail. The first one he talks about unity. If you're living life in a manner worthy of the gospel, Christian brothers and sisters, you will live in unity with one another. It says that standing firm in one spirit with one mind, a togetherness, a unity, one mind, a shared set of beliefs, but also a shared commitment to one another. And that's for us as well today as a Christian community here. That's why we do Sundays, that's why we do small groups, that's why we encourage us one another to be connected to one another so we can express this gospel unity. We can't live in lives in a manner worthy of the gospel if we're just individual in our outlook. No, it's to express unity, expresses the gospel in the way that we are called to live. Unity. Secondly, holding to the gospel. It says this, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is aware that there is a danger, and he refers to it many times in several of his letters, that the, the clarity of the gospel gets eroded. Other ideas sneak in that don't add to the gospel, but take away from the gospel. The clarity and the, the scandalous nature of the grace of God 
gets eroded by things. And every generation of Christians has a responsibility to hold to the truth of the gospel, not erode it, but let the truth of Scripture be clear and be proclaimed and the life-changing message of the good news of Jesus be the main thing and stay the main thing. And Paul reminds them here of that and it's a reminder to us in an age where people will divert from the truth when the truth is unpalatable to the culture around. Oh, couldn't we just change the gospel a bit? Can't we change God's word? Paul reminds the Philippians, no, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And thirdly, he also refers to faithfulness through trial, which is something we unpacked last week, probably in more detail than I can go to now. Because he's aware that to be a Christian in Philippi would perhaps place these Christians in a place of danger. And he's talking about not being frightened in anything by your opponents. Being a Christian is can sometimes feel like we have opponents who are out to get us and particularly because we are Christians. And being faithful, being steadfast through that is another way that we live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Some of these themes will flow into next week's passage as well so we can unpack them a little bit more then as well. But before I finish today, I want to really just underline to us How do we do this? How do we follow this radical command? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. How can we possibly hope to live in that sort of way? Maybe many of us are aware of our weakness and lack and our failures when it comes to being obedient to Christ. Well, again, as was expressed last week, Paul is speaking here really in many ways about some of the mysteries of life, the secrets of how to live. And so I can read his command here of letting the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel without keeping in mind that Paul has already said to live is Christ. You see, if we are to grasp what Paul wants us to do, I think we have to grasp what Paul has in mind. And that's a, that's a biblical principle that we can pick up and see elsewhere. That to live a transformed life, you first need to have a transformed mind. And there's no getting away from the fact that Paul's attitude is radical. It's radical. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Just the way he thinks about life and death is just completely different to the way that we perhaps are prone to think about it in the society and culture that we live now. We live in very much in a, in a me-centered culture. When we think about life, we think about our lives, we think about you know, my feelings my goals, my ambitions, my plans or my family or the way I want my life to be. That's usually the categories we think about life. And what we can do is 
even as Christians, we can just port on some spirituality to that just outlook of life. And we just think, well, my prayer life and my obedience to Jesus and my spiritual experience and, and my levels of faith. And we can think in, in those terms. But we can, if we're doing that, we're perhaps still thinking of ourselves as the center of our lives. And by contrast, Paul here says, to live is Christ. It's about him. I'm focused on him. It's radical. Life is not about me. Wow, who, who says that? Who actually lives like that? It's like he's saying, you know, if I don't reach my personal goals in life, it doesn't matter. If, if I get, you know, if, if I get fired from my job, it doesn't really matter. If I don't succeed, if I don't buy the house I want to buy, if, if I don't earn well in life or whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Who's, who says that? Who, which one of us says that from the heart? It doesn't really matter. Paul's seen something in Christ. He's saying, my life is about him. It's a heart decision. It's a radical attitude. And it's, cha it's challenging. It's challenging. I've wrestled with this scripture for the last couple of weeks and it's humbling to me and provoking to me. Do, do I have that attitude to life? And I say that even though it's hard and even though it's not something perhaps we want to hear, but I underline it because I... Paul has found a joy here. What he's describing here is not just a way of doing life. It's a path to joy. You see, what can rob us of joy is the pursuit of things as alternatives to the pursuit of Christ. And this secret of life, that perhaps I'm not sure even if you want to hear it, but Paul is saying, you know, giving up, giving up that selfish pursuit of joy for the pursuit of Christ, who promises to be all the joy we ever need. The question is, do we believe him? Do we take him at his word? Do we live accordingly? and allow him to be the one to bring that joy into our lives rather than pursue it on our terms. It's an easy thing to say. And I've, I've honestly been wrestling with this week, asking myself, do I spend my time wishing that God would provide and bless my version of a joy-filled life, which probably has a lot of selfishness wrapped up in it? Or do I spend my time discovering how to see Christ more clearly, to walk in his ways more clearly, to prize him as my source of joy in life. You see, obedience is a joyful path. It is a joyful path. Because by following Jesus, we have close fellowship with him. The person who is joy, joy has a name. That's what we've been talking about in this series. You see, trying to, trying to follow Jesus when we think something else will actually bring us joy, it's actually just drudgery. It's not a joyful path. 
If we think this thing over here is going to be what's going to bring us joy, but at the same time we're trying to, oh, I, I suppose I should follow Jesus. We're just going to be, that's not, it's not, we're wondering, why doesn't the Christian life give me joy? Well, the question is, have we made that decision to say, no, actually, Jesus is the joy I need? Because if we're chasing something else, we're going to be torn. Paul said, no, to live is Christ. The orientation of my life is him. And as I pursue him, I receive joy just from knowing him, just from seeing him. And so that's my question to you. Have you seen Christ? Have you seen him? Have you seen him as holy? Have you seen him as good? Have you seen him as faithful? Has you, have you seen him as saviour? Have you seen him as Lord? That is my prayer for you. Because as we see him, we're changed by him. As we prize him, he brings that joy that comes only from knowing him to us more and more. We're changed and that's how our lives become worthy of the gospel. That's how they become matched up to who he is when we see him. And that's my prayer. Let me pray. Spirit, would you show us Christ? that we might be satisfied in him. And I pray if there's anyone watching this now who does not know Christ, I pray in particular, would you show Christ and his goodness to them, that they might see him, that they might receive him and receive the joy that comes with knowing him. In your name we pray, amen.